0: Now, Why do children play sports? According to a study by researchers at Notre Dame's Center for Ethical Education, it's to, number one, have fun, and then do something that they're good at, improve skills, get exercise, be part of a team, and enjoy the excitement of competition. But looking at many sports fields and sports floors, athletic events, sometimes if we're being truthful, it looks like we may be missing the mark. There are coaches screaming or parents gritting their teeth, fans yelling at referees, teammates shunning their teammates over missed goals or botched moves. What happened to the carefree freedom and fun of sports and athletic engagements that we once saw or once was part of it's no wonder so many kids drop out of sports by the age of 13 and if we are really going to ask ourselves the honest questions about how we can develop strong athletes who thrive at peak performance do we really think that this is the way my next guest has some other ideas that can really help us. John O'Sullivan started the Changing the Game Project in 2012 after two decades as a soccer player, collegiate and professional, and a coach of the youth, high school, college, and professional level. He is the author of the number one best-selling books, Changing the Game, The Parent's Guide to Raising Happy, High-Performing Athletes, Giving Youth Sports Back to Our Kids, and Is It Wise to Specialize? John's work has been featured in the Huffington Post, CNN.com, Outside Magazine, ESPN.com, Soccer America, and numerous other publications. John is the internationally known speaker for coaches, parents, and youth sports organizations, and has spoken for TEDx, the National Soccer Coaches Association of America, U.S. Lacrosse, IMG Academy, and at numerous other events throughout the U.S., Canada, Asia, and Europe. He has a popular podcast for coaches called Way of the Champions and has even consulted with the U.S. Olympic Committee. John clearly has so much to offer us about sports and our children, so I just want to welcome John to How to Talk to Kids About Anything.
1: Thank you so much for having me on and for that great introduction.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it, and I would love it before we get into the meat of the interview, if you could just tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in kids, sports, and changing the face of the game for kids.
1: Well, probably much like you, what gets me up in the morning is my kids.
0: Mm-hmm. No kidding.
1: <laughs> Trying to get them off to school. Um, you know, I always say my most important job is as uh, the parent of a, an 11 and a 13-year-old. Um, so that, that's my thing. But mm-hmm. I mean, my, my passion is taking the things that I learned as an athlete and as a coach Taking the things that I've learned as an avid reader and and researcher and student of things like skill acquisition, um, psychology, sociology, um, team environments, team dynamics, and all the brilliant people I get to talk to on my podcast. and And sort of being this instrument that takes it and distills it down and passes it on to other people so that they can coach better or parent better. And, and help, you know, their own athletes through this athletic journey, but also through their life journey. And so that's really what gets me out of bed every morning.
0: Excellent. And I know you've had some pivotal moments where you've realized that something has kind of gone Wrong. Clearly, we have coaches and parents who, or fans who may be, you know, feeling like sports really isn't about fun anymore. It's if they're yelling or teasing or putting a lot of pressure on people, it can change the mindset around sports. So, I'd love for you to talk about mindset a bit and what we need to transfer um, from maybe that limited fixed mindset that we now have about sports and one that's quite negative, to one that might be more of this high-performing mindset that you talk about that we really need in order to succeed in sports?
1: Yeah, 100%. I think the 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 main thing in this idea that you touched on about fun, or, you know, fun's a word that maybe um, younger kids would use, and then as we become later teenagers and adults, we might use the word joy or mm-hmm. enjoyment. Mm-hmm. And this idea that you know, sport can either be competitive or it can be fun is the most ridiculous idea out there. Mm. Kids and adults will participate in things that they enjoy. And if the enjoyment factor goes away, they're going to walk away. Mm. And that's just uh, a plain fact. And I challenge anyone to say, what do you do, you know, if you get no, you know, people don't love their jobs if it's just a job, right? They love it when it's an environment and people that they love to show back up and and, and do stuff over and over with. And this is what we have to do in sports. And so this idea of enjoyment has to be at the center of everything that we do mm-hmm. when it comes to our kids in sport, when it comes to our kids in theater, in art, in dance, in, in everything, Right? What what you know, what makes you want to come back? Because the competition for soccer isn't lacrosse, it's Fortnite.
0: Mm -hmm. No kidding.
1: (laughs) And and it's social media. And so we have to outperform these multi-billion dollar companies that spend tens of millions of dollars of year on uh, on research. That says, how can we make this better so you'll do it more, mm. right? And then actually mm. implements it. And so that's our challenge. And so it starts, you know, if we put joy in the needs of the child at the center of everything we do sports-wise, then all of a sudden we start getting closer to this environment that makes them want to come back. And it doesn't mean that it can't be competitive. It doesn't mean it can't be demanding. Those are all words that kids use to describe things that make it fun, Trying hard, demanding, challenging games, that's fun for kids.
0: Mm. So give us the landscape of what you're, you've been seeing that kind of triggered you to say, we need a change, and then give us kind of your vision of what you hope to see in place of that.
1: Well, I think the landscape and the the number that's thrown about quite often is this idea that about three quarters of of children are done with organized sports by middle school. Mm. And so that's the landscape that I'm really sad about, because at the same time that kids are walking away from sport, you know, we have schools that have cut recess and cut PE in spite of all the evidence that shows how important movement and activity is to not only learning but lifelong positive health outcomes Mm -hmm. um so sport is this opportunity to to keep kids moving and, and train them correctly and and so that they become active for life so that's the environment and then you know the subsets of that environment are you know toxic coaching that doesn't treat the kids well or doesn't focus on their needs and and wants from the game toxic sidelines you know parents yelling and screaming and only focused on today and not the long-term development in the sport Mm. Um, yelling at referees and things like that Mm. coaching kids from the sideline and not letting them learn and make decisions themselves and then just you know sporting environments like the other day I saw an advertisement, you know, AAU is running a seven and under national championship for basketball.
0: Hmm.
1: That's insane. Hmm. That there, there's, there's no benefit for the kids there that's just about, hey, we're going to exploit you to make money, hmm. right? So that's the environment that we're trying to change and really change it to one where we have healthy competition, right, where we have um, – Less barriers to entry for sport, either financial, time commitment, Mm
0: -hmm. life balance. So so don't have
1: things like specialization and stuff like that before it's scientifically good to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, you know, an inclusiveness in sport and and then actually where our sport development matches the science and the psychology and the sociology of best principles of developing athletes for the long term because Mm. most of what we do now goes directly against What gives athletes the best chance of performing over the long term?
0: Mm, Okay, we're going to be getting into that. And I I really appreciate what you're saying. And I think that those who are listening, since we have so many coaches and instructors listening to this podcast, from the perspective of how can I make things good for the kids that are coming to me several times a week, my next question has a real personal interest to me and, and many of the coaches, instructors, and teachers that I work with throughout the country and and in many other countries because I I have a program called uh, Powerful Words, which is a character education program that I write for after-school sports activities and -hmm. have done so for more than 15 years now. Um, You write about in your book, shifting the paradigm of competitive physical activities in sports from one that focuses on winning and perfection and sort of being the best to one that focuses on character and core values like grit and commitment, integrity, humility, fairness, excellence, self-control, just to name a few. And since my Powerful Words community is listening in and they focus on a different core value and Powerful Word every month, many of which I just mentioned, I thought this would be a really important thing to cover, and so glad you wrote about it. So how, in your eyes, can we as parents and coaches and instructors help this paradigm shift to happen? What tips or takeaways would you like our listeners to come away with where they can implement right now moving a paradigm that focuses on winning to one that's focusing on character and and what you were just talking about the development of that athlete over time
1: Mm. well i would say the 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 first and best thing we could do is stop using professional sport as a model for youth sport right (laughs) i mean professional sport is sport for entertainment Mm. right youth sport is sport for development Mm. right so they have two very different Needs and 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 things that they value. Um, number two, the little snippets of professional sport that we see on ESPN are not the majority of time that those coaches spend with athletes, that those athletes spend with each other, developing bonds and friendships and teams and, and respect for each other so that in the moment when that coach raises their voice, it's done out of love, not out of fear. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I think that's the, the biggest thing because when sport is for entertainment and your job is solely based upon winning, um, well, you know what happens—we cut corners, right? And that's where you have things like what happened with U.S. gymnastics, mm. and that's where you have doping, and that's where you have cheating mm. scandals because it's all about winning. Mm. But that's not what youth sports should be about, and and sadly, we see that. You know, with you know, little league teams registering illegal players, or or um, you know, basketball teams, you know, forging age. Uh, you know to get mm-hmm. a kid onto their team. And so this is this is where we we can't use high level sport as the model for youth sport. They're they're two very different things because the participants have very different needs, right? We don't use college as the model for what a kindergarten classroom mm-hmm. should look. <laughs> mm, <laughs> right. Good point. And mm-hmm. so then, you know, to build on your character education program, I think what's really important and, you know, there's a great coach educator named Joe Ehrman out there and and he said this to me once and it really, really resonated. He said, you know, it's a big myth that sport develops character because mm-hmm. there's two types of character, you know, in, in his words. There's performance character and there's moral character. Mm-hmm. Now, sport to an extent can develop performance character, and that's things like grit and resilience, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. If if you're trying to do 10 pull-ups and the most you've done is eight, you're developing resilience by just trying to do that ninth Mm pull-up, right? Um, But when we look at things like moral character, integrity, respect, Mm -hmm. all those sort of things, that doesn't happen by accident Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. because you signed up for soccer. That only happens. when sports organizations and coaches intentionally teach it.
0: Yes, exactly. It doesn't happen by osmosis. You have to teach it. Yes.
1: Yeah, what happens is what they see. So if you don't learn positive moral character, if your coach or the parents on the sideline are disrespectful to the official.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Or teach you to cheat right and and so and so if we are going to truly teach character through sport then we must intentionally teach it every day
0: you and i are totally on the same page on that <laughs> we, i i have had that conversation multiple times um hundreds maybe thousands of times over the last 15 years and i Couldn't agree more. We have to be intentional, um, and it, it actually needs to come out of our mouths. We need to show it. We need to highlight it when we see it. And, you know, when we're teaching kids about what respect looks like in sports, what it looks like, since uh, what sportsmanship looks like, but also how they can carry it home and and be responsible and be respectful to the people in their neighborhoods and their communities and their families. And yes, of course, their teammates and and everybody that they encounter when they're at our, our schools, our gyms, or out on the sports field. That's that's the gold. That's when we are really developing something that I find is not just helpful in the athletics, but it's helpful in life. They take it with them. And the kid who was playing soccer or doing gymnastics or cheer or martial arts or or football takes that with them and applies it while they're a kid and they're an athlete. And then when they're an adult and they may no longer be an athlete, they still can apply it and they can still say, I learned this from my participation in sports.
1: Exactly. And it's why many people in C-level jobs have a sporting background. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's about the ability to recognize each other's differences and work together towards a common goal, whether that's trying to win a soccer championship or um, you know trying to run a company. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. People are people, whether they're chasing a ball or – Chasing sales figures, mm-hmm. so I, I think this is a, incredibly important that that we understand this. And the fact is that no matter how good a coach you are, only a tiny percentage of your athletes will ever make a living from the sport that you're teaching. Yes, but every one of them will have the opportunity to le- use the things that you teach them in some aspect of their life Mm. so if the only thing that you're teaching is you know how to hit a curveball you're really selling your kids short
0: Mm. so well said that's absolutely I, i couldn't agree more and i i love what you're saying here now i know that you know we just talked about that so many kids are dropping out of sports, really what we think of as, as prematurely. I mean, they're still kids. 70% of kids are dropping out of sports by age 13. So can you tell us why children are quitting? And and this will really perk up every coach and, and instructor that's listening right now. Give us the, the scripting of what you would say to a child who tells you, or his parents, or you know, his coach, that he or she wants to quit.
1: Mm. So part one of that question, for, for sure, why why kids are quitting, I, I really think that the number one, obviously if the number one reason they play is enjoyment, then the number one reason they quit is because I just don't enjoy this mm-hmm. anymore. Right. Um, number two, I think kids quit because they lose ownership of the experience. right? So their parents or their coaches are trying to live vicariously, through their athletic Mm -hmm. achievements, and they start making all the decisions and, and, and deciding, hey, you know, this is what you're going to do, and all these things. And and so they've lost ownership of the experience, they've lost ownership of, um, you know, I want to go out and practice, right? I always say to people when they think, you know, ask me, they think, my kid's going to be good. I'm like, "Well, do they pick up a ball outside of practice?" Cuz if they don't, then no. The answer mm-hmm. is no. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Right? But if they pick up a ball outside of practice, there's something there that, you know, they are intrinsically motivated to get better. And that's a really good sign at a young age that a that uh, a child has a chance of of doing something long enough to actually get good at. Mm-hmm. It. Right? So so I think that's the the starting point. And then, you know, to the second part of your question. If, if someone comes, you know, if, if a child says to you, you know, that I want to walk away. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're really young. Right. And so let's say they're seven and they're trying Mm -hmm. soccer for the first time. And two weeks in, they're like, I don't want to play soccer anymore. You're, you're walking that line, I think as a, as a coach or, but especially as a parent of saying, you know what, you know, if you've gone out there and the environment's good and the, and the, the coach is not a lunatic,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Like we're also learning about commitment here. Like, right. Hey, you know what? We made a commitment. Yep. You're going to fulfill your commitment. Um, at the end of it, we don't ever have to sign up for soccer again, right? But at least you're going to try. Right. Right. Um, so I think that's an important part of it. Yes. Uh, number two, I, I heard, um, uh, a guy named Tim Elmore once, uh, asked this same question. I thought he gave a really good answer and so I'll give him credit for it. I think his website's Growing Leaders. Yes, said, I
0: interviewed him. <laughs> oh, okay,
1: perfect. So he said, I don't know if you asked him the same question, but, but he said, you know, well, tell me on a scale of one to ten, right, ten being this is the greatest thing ever and one being I don't want to ever do it again, where are you on that scale? Mm-hmm. And most people aren't a one, right? right? They're like a three or a four. Mm-hmm. And so you say to them, like, hey, well, why aren't you a two? Well, because I like this and like that. So you can start turning the conversation onto the Mm. positives of what's good about this. Mm. And Mm. well, what would make it a six? What would get it to seven? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if uh, you know we played more games in practice mm-hmm. instead of standing in line, mm. things like that. this is really good feedback for coaches about what your players want mm. versus what you think they need. Um, and, and so I think that's good. And you know one of the times that I think if your kids stay in sport long enough, every parent will go through this and oftentimes it happens like after an injury. Right. So yeah, a kid tears an ACL and so they're nine months out of the game and then they start back and they feel like they're not really good anymore. Well, it's because you missed nine months and mm-hmm. you had a significant injury. And so, you know, giving them the advice of well, how about this? Stick with your comeback, do your physical therapy. And when you get back to the level that you think you were at before you got hurt, and you still want if you still want to quit then, then you can.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. But usually it, by that point, kids start feeling progress. Right. Right. And then they're like, no, this is good. Like, I'm, I'm feeling good about myself again. So right, I think as right. parents, we're always walking that line between um, giving them that that positive push and sort of saying, OK, well, fair enough. Right. And mm-hmm. at certain ages. Right. They might, you know, I really love music or I really Mm -hmm. love theater. Mm -hmm. I just can't do both. Or, you know what, I can't play soccer because I really love basketball. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're 14 and that's your choice, I think that's okay. Mm -hmm. But probably not in the middle. Like, don't let your teammates down in the middle of the thing. But then, you know, the last piece is as the parent. If this situation is a dangerous one, the coach is a bully, the Mm -hmm. team dynamics are awful, your kids developing an eating disorder Mm. or depression Mm -hmm. because of this environment, then get them out.
0: Right, right. If it's a toxic environment, then.
1: If it's it's dangerous, not just difficult.
0: Right. Right. Okay. Really great scripting and and extremely helpful. And I think that it is a great lesson for our coaches and our instructors and our teachers to be able to ask that question that you mentioned that Tim Elmore said about the scale from one to 10. I I like that And, and helping them to define for themselves, you know, what those different levels would look like so that we can see if there's ways that we can improve what we're, you know, the experience we're providing. And for parents, if they have their child in a very competitive situation, and the child is not enjoying that competition, that they can then seek out maybe a more non-competitive way of of them being involved in that activity. Or I'll just say, in my case, my daughter was just in a, a gymnastics class that she was finding to be more frustrating because it had gotten quite large, and she was feeling like it really wasn't a great environment. Well, we, you know, just called and and talked to the somebody at the front desk about the other classes that were provided, and she said, you know, there's a smaller class that meets at a different time, and we moved her. She's much happier now. So sometimes it's a small move that can help, you know, move it to that next level from a four to a seven or an eight. And other times it's, you know, is it coach related? Is it, you know, related to the actual environment itself? Um, Or are they, you know, really, as you said, more interested in something, something else at that time, and they're old enough to, you know, really make that choice and say, you know, I'm really interested in theater or, or art and want to put my effort there.
1: Yeah. And just having the ability to have that conversation with your kids about that is an incredibly important thing. And that's something that you develop early on when you are making most of the decisions for them. Mm -hmm. And then it's something that you, you know, you're gradually seeding them that responsibility later and later. Um, You know, there there was a study out of Europe. It's the only one I've ever seen um, about, you know, when parents have unfulfilled dreams that, they're more likely to live vicariously yes. through their children. And and I think it's a really important thing to recognize that if you start, if the thought that's always in the back of your head is, you know, I could have made it if I just mm. had A, B, and C, that's a really, mm. you know, good sign that you're taking over this experience for your son or your daughter and you might need to just take a deep breath. It doesn't mean that you don't have expectations of them to work hard or whatever, mm-hmm. but, realistically unless they feel it in their gut and they and they love it and they're willing to get out there and do it more and more they're probably not going to be a real high level athlete which mm-hmm. is okay mm-hmm. they can still be a runner and a biker and uh, you know town basketball league player mm-hmm. that's great
0: mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. but they're not going to the olympics. Right. Right. That's something that's really got to come from the gut that that somebody who is is really committed and and intrinsically motivated to to go into that level. I know that a a, a large portion of your work focuses on what you call the 7 Cs of high performance state of minds. So I'd love for you to talk about these 7 Cs sort of in general and how They impact our children's approach to sports, their sort of investment in sports and their decision to stick with sports. What are these seven C's of high performance?
1: Yeah. So I think the the biggest thing that we have to realize is that the single greatest factor that affects performance and performance can be playing well versus not playing well. And performance can also be continuing to participate or not participate is the environment and, and the state of mind of the participant. Right. And so as a parent or as a coach, we play a large part in what that environment and what their state of mind is towards our sport. And so the, the book is the, the gist of the book is basically about, Hey, the, the, what are these seven areas that if we are intentional about creating the right environment, um, children will continue to participate and, and it'll also free them up to perform their very best. Mm. So it starts with, you know, common sense and perspective. That's the first C. Um, it starts with giving them control and ownership, um, which, you know, helps them develop competence. And when they develop competence, that's where confidence comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, when we create the right conditions, right? So that's, uh, Physically and emotionally safe, developmentally appropriate environments. Um, when we communicate correctly, I wrote the communication chapter with a friend of mine who's a hostage negotiator. And I'm mm. like, if anyone can talk to teenagers, right? Uh-huh. It's a hostage negotiator, right? And um, and then caring and unconditional love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if you. Or if you see your your son or your daughter pulling away from sport you can look in any one of those areas and say huh like okay what is it are they lacking confidence let me dive in and look what affects confidence and how i can you know get that back and it just might be well i feel like everyone's better than me well hey you're gonna have to practice a little bit more Mm -hmm. um if it's You know, communication, you know, if if the car ride home for them is something that they fear and loathe because Mm, mm. you're trying to make it a teachable moment, (laughs) even though it's the least teachable moment, that's something that you can strip away and give that space back to them so that it doesn't become something to avoid. Mm. Um, And so uh, really the whole book was about giving all these aspects and areas that you can look in when performance is lagging or you can look at your own Interaction with your athlete and say, huh, maybe I need to pull back a little bit there um, versus versus giving more. And so, you know, there's like questions to talk about with your kids and activities to do to help have this great back and forth and understanding of each other. In these situations,
0: mm. I, you're making me think of um, I interviewed KJ Dellantonia, who was oh yeah yeah. <laughs> so she she was talking about how there was a study out there that said that the 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 part of sports that kids hated the most was the ride home mm-hmm. after, and so you know it, it can feel. I, I think for kids, you know, that they're they're right in the spotlight and it can be a very negative spotlight of when you do this, then you've got to do that. And there was a point in the game when you did this and you should have been doing that and, and how unpleasant that can be uh, in the car. What do you recommend for parents when they, the kid gets in the car and they're on their way home from an, a sports event of any kind? What, what would you recommend that that conversation or that communication looks like?
1: Well, I think first of all, you have to um, take into account their own state of mind in that moment, Mm. right? If they just won and they're feeling good, let them feel good for a while, Mm -hmm. right? If they just lost, they already feel lousy,
0: right? (laughs) What's your goal? (laughs) Yeah,
1: to make them feel worse, right? (laughs) Right. So, so these are you know two of the two of the pieces, and then and then realistically, let your son or your daughter guide the conversation. So for example, my daughter often after a game gets in the car and it's like, how do you think I did Dad?" Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm also at this point, her coach. And so my first answer is usually, would you like me to answer as your dad or as your coach?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Um, you know, cause my, you know, my job as your dad sometimes to make you feel better. My job as your coach is to make you be better. <laughs> well, different answers, right?
0: <laughs> there um, you go.
1: And, um, But she'll ask it. My son, that question never occurs to him. He'll never bring it up. He never Mm. wants to talk about it. Um, He's more what's for lunch, right? And and he's moving on. And so with him, you know, I have to find times later on um, the emotions out of the moment for him and for me (laughs) and say, hey, is there anything, you know, you want to chat about at the game? What went well? Mm -hmm. What needs work? things like that that, you know, we can find that unemotional time. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, you you said you have coaches listening. Yes. This is the post game talk. What mm-hmm. do you actually have to say right after the game when you're angry or upset or super disappointed that you can't say in the hotel that night or before the next practice when your players are actually ready to learn mm-hmm. and you're ready to teach. Mm. Right. You know, you usually after the game, you know, it's it's like what comes out of your mouth is like vomit. Like it makes you feel better and everyone else feels worse.
0: Oh gosh, that is such a good point. And I I think parents know that too, you know, not just in the sports arena, but like right there in the moment when they're really frustrated with their child, you know, that, that feeling of, of vomiting all over to them. And you're like, probably not the best time to have have said these words. And I
1: think it's really appropriate for people to understand that there's certain things that I think you do deal with, directly right if your son or your daughter you know punches a player Mm. in the face Mm -hmm. off the ball if they curse at a referee Mm. Mm. they do something that's hey this is not how our family does things yes you address that right Right. away away. like parent to child right not you know not coach to athlete right like like you know you you address that and then you put it to bed it's not a segue into then discussing the performance during the game Mm. but you just address inappropriate behaviors like hey you know what we always shake hands no matter what right right address that immediately but then put it to bed right but anything performance related unless your kid brings it up Mm -hmm. i suggest don't bring don't bring it up in the car
0: Mm -hmm. okay you know you talked about these seven c's but then you later talk about long-term athletic development. And you mentioned it before, and we're trying to develop the athlete who is going to grow up to love sports and and not drop out. So what would you say are some key factors of that LTAD, as you call it, long-term athletic development that we really need to consider that would help to inspire high performers and and long-term athletes?
1: the LTAD framework came out of canada in the united states we were calling it the american development model mm-hmm. um, so if you see adm or you see LTAD, they refer to sort of the same thing mm-hmm. and and it's basically around this idea of what we would call physical literacy mm. right so we have you know we talk about literacy in terms of being able to you know to read and write and We would never, you know, have a five-year-old who was struggling with reading and we would just say, you know what? She's just not a reader. Mm. Let's move on. Mm. Right. But we have five-year-olds, six-year-olds who struggle with fundamental movement, how to run, jump, skip, throw, catch, track, you know, and yet we say, ah, he's just not an athlete. She's just not an athlete. But these are learned skills. Mm. Now, oftentimes the kids who we look at as like the better athletes, Mm -hmm. yeah, some of them have genetic advantages, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times they're just older, right? So if the, the, if the cutoff date is January 1st for little league and your kid's born in December, your kid's always going to probably look like a lesser athlete than the kids born in January. Right. But these are learned skills. So we, these give us opportunities as parents to go in the backyard and work on jumping, throwing, catching, Mm. climb that tree, fall out of that tree. Mm. That's okay. You know, and, Mm. and so, um, When we talk about a long term athlete development path, it's basically looking at the social, emotional, physical needs of the child at different ages and then providing a sporting and movement environment that is appropriate for those ages and stages. And, you know, I just wrote a blog post called The Professionalization of Youth Sports. Mm -hmm. When we start, you know, trying to put 18 year old demands on eight year olds, Mm those kids walk away or they Mm -hmm. get injured Mm. um, or it's just too much for them, Mm. you know? And, and I think this is uh, where these type of frameworks are, are good Mm -hmm. from a physical standpoint. You know, when kids are very young, you should be teaching speed and agility, Mm. not go for a four mile run Mm. because kids in that stage are, you know, they'll learn movement quicker then they'll be able to develop aerobic fitness. Aerobic fitness is something aerobic capacity develops faster later once you hit puberty. Mm. But before puberty, it's speed,
0: mm-hmm, right? Mm. And
1: so, you know, when I see a bunch of eight-year-olds running laps, I'm like, there's someone who has no idea what they're doing.
0: Oh, so we really <laughs> need to be aware of, of their capabilities and of what is really healthy for their bodies and their minds at the... Each individual age group.
1: Yeah. And as you know from your work, I mean, you know, you can't tell a seven year old, be a leader. Like, that means mm-hmm. nothing to a seven year old,
0: mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And
1: when we say to, you know, six year old soccer players, spread out because there's the big beehive, it's like, well, they're not going to spread out. If you put eight kids in your living room and give them one toy, they'd all fight for the toy. Very good point. Right. <laughs> it's right. Classic. They don't have visual spatial awareness of where mm. I am versus my teammates. Yeah. Right. So unless we are clever enough to put constraints in our practices that artificially make them spread out, Mm -hmm. so when I work with six or seven-year-olds, we never play to one goal. Uh, Each end of the field has two goals and they're mm-hmm. out by the corners mm. and so this allows you know players who maybe are a little bit ahead to go hmm, there's a lot of people here but there's no one over there and look I can score there too <laughs> oh,
0: so smart so smart so that's that would be a challenge to some coaches and instructors who are listening that how can we translate some of the fundamentals that we want them to learn in a fun way without telling them these sort of elusive directions, like spread out or whatever it may be, um, and and help to then teach them kinesthetically um, in, in, in a fun way that would actually translate to kids. I think that's genius. I love that yeah, idea.
1: Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, if we think about you know, a child board game, and I'll just throw one out there like shoots and ladders, mm-hmm. whatever, right? That, you know, as an adult, you might get no joy in playing that with your kid. Well, why would you think that a kid ha- gets joy playing an adult game
0: mm.
1: when they're just a kid, right? Mm-hmm. Like it has to fit the needs of who's in front of me
0: mm-hmm. and
1: not the needs of who's teaching.
0: No. Wow, that's a good one. That will be slapped on a meme for later, I'm sure of it. <laughs> Love that. So, if you were running a family meeting about sports participation, let's say your children are now going to get into, you know, into a sport. You're running a family meeting about it. Like, what would you what would be like one of your top things that would be on your list to talk about given the fact that you know, when they're involved in a sport that, that does, you know, change some of the family dynamics, nobody's got to drive, somebody's got to be there, you know, there's got to be an idea about attitude and, and, you know, we're embarking on something, we're signing up for something that's going to take a couple of weeks, months, whatever. Um, what, what would be some of your top things that you would want to relay to a child who's then embarking on on some kind of sport or athletic event?
1: I think it depends on <clears throat> ages and stages. So mm-hmm. let's just start when my kids were young and they're just starting out and they're sampling lots of sports. Mm-hmm. we you know, we really have sort of three goals for this, right? Which is have fun, yep. try your best and fulfill your commitment, mm-hmm. right? Like that right. we're committing to this for whatever, right? right? So no, I'm not going to sign you up for, you know, 42 straight weeks of soccer, <laughs> right. Like, let's just do 10 and see right. how that goes. See how goes. And then we'll try something else. Right. Um. And if you liked it, then great. We'll try something else. And then we'll come back to soccer later on. Um. So I think that's early on as they get into, you know, a little older and, and middle school ages. Then, you know, it, it can be around their goals as well. Mm-hmm. And when you're getting into things like, do we play in the town recreational mm-hmm. league or do we make this Jump in commitment Mm -hmm. and finances to let's call it a travel program, right? Well, those are, you know, I want you to play soccer, but these are two very different programs. So if we're going to commit, like you said, the driving and the resources Mm -hmm. to this, then as a child, recognize what you're committing to, which is more than if you just wanted to play in town, Ah, right? And so if your coach says, hey, twice a week, you need to you know, get outside in your backyard and, and work on this, then that's an expectation of this program that you signed up
0: for. Mm -hmm, Um, mm.
1: And I think that's really important. And I think as parents, we also have the right to look at our kids and say, you're, you want to play here, but your commitment level is only over here. And so we're not going to keep paying $3,000 when 85 would do just fine.
0: Mm. Valid point. Valid point. All right. Before we get to our top tip and, and, you know, round up this incredible talk on on sports, I, I was so curious about this while I was reading your book. If you heard a coach or a parent screaming at their child or yelling at their child or, you know, reprimanding their child about how they were performing on the field or on the sports floor while doing their sport of choice, what would you want to whisper in their ear?
1: Would this be helpful at work for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Or like, you know, I mean, I always say like we, we get in other parts of our kids lives like we don't go to math class and yell at them to carry the one. <laughs> right. And and I've never my kids play music and I've never I've never been to a concert where some parent jumped up and was like, the woodwinds are killing us tonight. Right. (laughs) And so, you know, why do we think it would be, it's helpful for our child to be Mm -hmm. yelled at and berated and coached in the middle of them trying to do something very difficult, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, motor skill development Mm -hmm. in a very public place. Now sports is really the, one of the only places where parents, Get to watch their child succeed and fail firsthand, mm, right? Mm. And so we want to intervene out of love, not because we're trying to mess them up. But I, I just say, you know, if it, you know, the Canadian. When in my TED talk, I showed a video of um, from Canadian hockey yes. of you a know, dad trying to hit a ten foot putt, and his kid standing behind him. You know, bend your knees, keep your head still, do yes. this to that, right? And the dad being, just, "What are you doing? Keep your eye on the ball." Right? And I think they did a great job there of yes. saying, if it's not OK here, why do you think it's OK if those roles were reversed? Yes.
0: Yes. It was <laughs> great. Yes. Know? Yeah.
1: And so I, I love that. Yeah. And I mean, I, I'll, I'll share a funny story for your listeners. Yes. My son loves to he loves to play golf and I wasn't being a great golf dad because I love to play golf, too. But I mean, I don't think there's any sport more than golf where you could like make. 52 coaching points on every swing Mm. yeah i was really struggling to be quiet for my son he finally looks at me and he's i was like should i just be quiet and he's like yes let me just play i'm like okay fair enough right so um two holes later he hits his drive off to the side and he's going to hit his second shot and he's lined up straight at this tree um like five eight feet in front of him and i'm sitting there going oh He's going to, if he hits this straight, it's going to whack that tree. And I almost said something. I'm like, you know, he told me to be quiet. Mm -hmm. And so he takes his full swing, hits it square, hits the tree. It comes bouncing back, flies over his head. He ducks and falls and he kind of looks back at me like shocked. I was like, well, you were aiming at the tree. (laughs) And he says, why didn't you tell me? I'm like, because you told me not to. (laughs) And he's like, okay, fair enough. Fair
0: enough. Yeah.
1: You know? And so we, we came to this agreement, like, "Hey, I'll leave you alone. You yes. you you wallow through this yourself." And it, but it was really funny because I'm like, "He's gonna hit that tree, yeah, yeah." I'm not gonna say. Anything well, that impressive
0: person. that you didn't say anything and and allowed impressive him to that fail, he didn't
1: hit himself and get a black eye. Yes. So my wife's like, "What did
0: you do to TJ? And <laughs> <laughs> why didn't you say something?" Yeah. Yes, awesome, awesome. Yeah, well, sometimes failure is a is a great teacher, and I know that you're big on that too, making sure that the kids can fail. Why don't you give us your top tip, your single best piece of advice that you would want parents or coaches to come away with about sports participation and cha- changing the game?
1: Mm. So I, I would say this, that there, there, there's three critical ingredients for your child to participate in sport long enough to actually get good at, but just, you know, to stay in the game, right? Number one is enjoyment. Number two is ownership. Number three is intrinsic motivation. And so as a parent, right, I should always be asking myself, do they own this? Is this, are they here for them, right? Are they loving what they're doing, right? And do they seem motivated to get better and and do more? And I think if you check in with those three things, that's really important. And oftentimes, you know, just like sort of the theme of, of my TED Talk and the best advice I ever got as a dad is the best thing we can do is just tell our kids, I love watching you play. Mm-hmm. I love skiing with you. I love going camping with you. I love playing golf with you, mm-hmm. right? And that's all I ever say to my kids. And when they want coaching, I give them coaching, but I always lead with that, mm-hmm. right? That I'm, I'm proud of the fact that you're out there even if it wasn't your best day.
0: Mm, mm. And it takes the pressure off of the winning and the losing and you know feeling like you're in a fishbowl where everybody's watching every move you're making. It's just that you love watching them play, you love watching them get out there and that they know that then you're you're there for a very different reason. You know, you're not there because you you feel like you're trying to live vicariously through them. You're not there because you're going to be embarrassed if they lose or you're going to just put in so much uh, pressure on the fact that, oh, if they win and then they can keep moving up a level and they know that you're there for the right reasons. And of course, if you love watching them play, then it's much more of a likelihood that they'll love playing for you
1: exactly and and want you to actually attend their game
0: yes exactly and what i mean like you know playing for you i don't mean like playing because of you but playing you know while you're watching you know that's that's really it's it's such an important idea and i i like the idea of just being able to say i love watching you play i it was advice that i was given to a, a long time ago and i think it's very good sound advice Yes. I, 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 can you give us your resource of the week? Where can people get more information about you, your book, your speaking engagements, and everything you bring to the table on this topic?
1: Sure. So uh, the hub of all things Changing the Game Project is just changingthegameproject.com. So that's our website. It's got our blog. It's got a link to the podcast. It's got uh, online courses and... Um, you know, you know, how to book a speaker or our schedule of where we are speaking, all that sort of stuff. Um, I mean, tons and tons. I mean, hundreds of thousands of words of free blog posts Mm -hmm. and hundreds of hours of free podcasts on on all this stuff. And, you know, if you don't mind, I mean, I would love, you know, one of the things I love to do, my book's been out a number of years now, and I just like to get it in people's Mm -hmm. hands. And Mm -hmm. so if they want uh, you know, a PDF of the book, mm. just go to changing the game forward slash free CTG book, mm. all lowercase. Mm-hmm. And they, they just put in their email and uh, they get the book. Oh, so they can read it, read it there. And then if they like it, then they can always go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or one of those and buy a copy.
0: Oh, that's terrific. And anybody who's driving or walking or jogging, don't worry, we've got you covered. I've got the show notes right there on my website. So there'll be links to all of John's work, his book, his blog posts, and uh, his TED Talk and everything else that you'll need. And I just want to thank you, John. I'm just so appreciative of your insight and your strategies. Uh, I love what what you're doing about changing the game and, and helping parents and educators, and coaches uh, sort of just changed the way that they're working with kids and helping them see what, what sports are really about. So thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Well, thank you. This was a wonderful conversation that I think could have gone on for another hour or two. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs)
0: Agreed. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. Let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. Also on Instagram at drrobinsilverman.com. And we'll be going back and forth on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram with John sharing me talking about this episode, I will be taking some of his great quotes and putting them right on memes so we can share them everywhere. I know you love to do that. And if you love this podcast like I did, I'll hope you go up to iTunes and rate and review it so others can learn about these outstanding solutions and ways to talk to kids and use them in their own homes. I truly appreciate it. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information, information on books, articles, speaking engagements or curriculum, please visit com. There's great podcasts up there and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together, and please remember even on the days when you fall short You've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. So if you heard something today that John said and you go, oh, gosh, I said that very thing on the soccer field, in the gymnastics uh, gym, in in wherever you might have been, and you go, I said the wrong thing. Do not worry. You can take this information and say to your kid, you know what? I didn't mean to say that. Here's what I meant to say. I love watching you play. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week.